Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Wednesday, November 4th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Brian Eno's thoughts on social media and the role of the artist in these trying times, as well as a related new finding that smartphones may actually be helping to pop people's filter bubbles when it comes to news consumption. A new archaeological discovery that has upended previous conceptions about gender roles in ancient hunter-gatherer societies. And Belgium's Cuddle Buddy Mandate. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. This week, Brian Eno released a new EP of songs he's written that have appeared in films like Dune and The Lovely Bones. It's a kind of follow-up to his 1978 album Music for Films, which was more aspirational. He sent that album to filmmakers to be considered for use in their projects, and eventually most of the songs did end up being used in movies. And now, over 40 years later, his music has been used and made specifically for dozens of films. He's collaborated with and produced for the likes of David Bowie, Devo, U2, and The Talking Heads, among many others. And, of course, he composed the famous Windows 95 startup sound on a Mac. There's a new interview with him out in the New York Times today about the album, his work generally, and how he's been spending quarantine. If you're an Eno fan like I am, it's a cool read. He discusses the origins of his pivot into ambient music, how he doesn't compose a picture when he works on films, and some of the theoretical writing that he's been doing in quarantine. But mostly, I wanted to hone in on one of his responses about social media, because it feels fairly apt, especially on a day like today. It starts with him talking about how he thought Walkmans were stupid and never gonna take off. It's probably not too surprising for the guy who literally coined the term ambient music, but he says that he still has trouble understanding how anyone would want to be out and about and not listen to the sounds of the street around them. He told the Times that he honestly is still not really on board with headphones and portable music, which led to this, quote, Something that kind of disappoints me is that most of the new technology from the 80s onwards has been about the atomization of society. It's been about you being able to be more and more separate from everybody else. And that's why I don't like the headphones thing. I don't want to be separate in that way. I think one of the great drivers of the mess that we're in now is the increasing atomization of society into more and more individuals and fewer and fewer communities. I want to see ways of communities being built again. Now, of course, the internet has created new types of communities, but unfortunately, it's done it in connection with social media, where everything is self-referential, and it's impossible to create communities that are so sealed off from everybody else that they become convinced that the whole world is clearly how they see it. End quote. 
I have long been a defender of the internet and social media as a place for people to come together in ways that they never before could, and I do still think that that's true, but I have become increasingly cynical in recent years about any net positive actually existing there. And I think Eno tied the two points together pretty well. Like, yes, we've created a lot of great communities and a sense of community for people who may have been desperately lacking it. And some of that has led to even more siloing than ever before. It makes me think again about Eli Pariser's proposal for digital public park spaces to break down the filter bubbles. Places where you're forced to encounter and collaborate with people you wouldn't actively choose to in the same way that you have to do so in physical public spaces. I went more into this on the October 14th episode of this podcast, so you can go listen back to that if you want to hear more about Pariser's idea. For now, though, I'll share one possible sliver of hope. A new study published this week in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences found that mobile devices are actually helping to pop the filter bubbles, or at least not causing as rigid of bubbles as desktop computers' use is. This comes from an analysis of the news consumption of tens of thousands of Americans over a five-year period of time across their phones, tablets, and desktop computers. Quoting Futurity, The study shows that exposure to news through desktop computers has resulted in people reading from a narrower set of sources over time. But when the analysis takes into account the full range of devices on which people access the internet, including mobile phones, a picture emerges in which Americans encounter a much wider range of news sources, exposure that is largely not dictated by partisan beliefs. On average, the political ideology of news audiences only counted for 16% of the variation in their exposure to news outlets. The researchers theorize that the structure of mobile apps, news aggregators, and social media networks led people to click on stories on a variety of sites that they might not otherwise visit, end quote. On the flip side, unfortunately, the study also found that half of Americans do not read the news on any of their devices at all. Sandra Gonzalez-Bellion, Associate Professor of Communication at the Annenberg School for Communication and senior author of the study, said, quote, What this tells us is that the left-right ideological divide may be less important than the divide between those who are informed and those who are not. And this finding matters because news avoiders are likely to be more vulnerable to misinformation and manipulation, and we have to do more to research that. End quote. So, good news, bad news, like so many things right now. And to leave you with, if not exactly relevant, hope, at least zooming out to a larger picture, here is one more quote from the Brian Eno interview about what he thinks the role of the artist is in difficult times like now. Quote, Well, the question, of course, one always asks oneself, is the role to just give it all up and do something useful with your time, like campaign or become a political activist? So that is a continual question in my mind. But my response to that is to say that it's not only the immediate future we have to think about, but also the long-term future and what we want that to be like. So I think what artists do generally is a contribution in the long-term rather than the short-term. There are short-term contributors as well, and I'm not sure that I'm one of them. End quote.
A new study published today in the journal Science Advances has upended long-held beliefs about prehistoric gender roles. The burial of a 17- to 19-year-old woman laid to rest around 9,000 years ago has been uncovered in the Andean highlands of South America. And what makes her so unique is that she was buried with stone projectile points, animal processing tools, and other artifacts associated with big game hunting. The presence of those grave goods is a strong indicator that this young woman was herself a big game hunter. Ancient people were often buried with their possessions, and warriors in particular would usually be buried with their tools and weapons. This tradition is part of what helped a team earlier this year identify several Viking warriors as being women as well. Common notions of these ancient societies have typically been that men did the hunting and women did the gathering. But this finding inspired the team from the dig to look back at other records and see what might have been missed when archaeologists analyzed findings through the lens of post-colonial gender roles. Quoting Gizmodo, The team reviewed 429 accounts of burials from 107 sites in North and South America, dating back to the late Pleistocene and early Holocene. In total, they found 27 unambiguous examples of people buried with their hunting gear, of which 16 were male and 11 were female. The sample is sufficient to warrant the conclusion that female participation in early big-game hunting was likely non-trivial, greater than the trace levels of participation observed among ethnographic hunter-gatherers and contemporary societies, wrote the authors. Clearly, archaeologists in the past were aware of these burials, but they dismissed the possibility of these women as being big-game hunters because sexism. Or, as the authors put it, modern gender constructs often do not reflect past ones, with scientists making uncritical assumptions about past gender roles. End quote. In addition to potentially busting this long-held misconception, the woman's burial, as well as a second individual found nearby, a man who died between the ages of 25 to 30, now represent the earliest known hunter burials in the Americas. Of course, it's hard to ever know anything for certain, but the research team is excited to continue doing research both in analyzing past research and in future discoveries that will inform more about what is possibly a very different organizational structure of hunter-gatherer societies than previously thought. Belgium has just instituted a new lockdown policy that, frankly, America could use right now. Not just for the pandemic, but for, you know, everything. So, Belgium, France, Germany, and the United Kingdom have reinstated lockdown orders for the next several weeks, closing many businesses and limiting physical contact. But Belgium does have one exception. It's called Nufel Contact. Translation... Cuddle contact. Each person in Belgium is allowed one cuddle buddy, and people who live alone get two, but they may only visit one at a time. This exception to otherwise strict social distancing regulations is rooted in a recognized need to address mental health during the pandemic. Dr. Philip Reis, a professor of clinical psychology at the University of Leuven, told Vice, quote, during the first lockdown, several studies concluded that there was a significant rise in depression and anxiety, 
It was an especially difficult time for those who were alone. And in that light, I think it's a really good idea that people can have an extra Nufl contact as long as they stick to this rule and maintain the same contact like they are supposed to. We're a social species, and we need other people around us to stay healthy, and therefore, from a clinical perspective, it is extremely important that we allow people at least a modicum of intimate social contact. The balance is a difficult one to strike, but in my opinion, in this particular case, the benefits outweigh the potential costs." End quote. And other nations in Europe that are shutting down are similarly prioritizing the social needs of us humans. England is allowing support bubbles that allow single-person households to form a bubble with one other household of any size, which kinda sounds like your thriving married-with-kids friends get to temporarily adopt your poor, lonely, single self. The Netherlands, however, has been a bit more blunt about the whole thing. Back in May, they advised their single residents to make arrangements with a sex buddy. That's literally the term that they used, although, you know, spelled the Dutch way, S-E-K-S. They acknowledged how rough lockdown is on single people and provided guidelines for forming a bubble with one other person without increasing your risk of transmission too greatly. And while it's all kind of funny, it's actually really great to hear about governments taking mental health seriously, and the pandemic seriously, for that matter. And I will echo what all of these guidelines have said, which is that whether you're single or not, have a cuddle buddy or not, if you're still finding it difficult to cope through this time, do what you can to start seeing a mental health professional. As Dr. Reis says, quote, nobody should have to go through this difficult situation entirely alone, end quote. So most of these will probably be ended by the time that you hear this, but I thought that it was pretty cool that it happened, so I wanted to mention it anyways. A number of counties across the U.S. were live-streaming their ballot counting in an effort both to show transparency and the amount of labor that election workers put into such a monumental task. As of recording, the Philadelphia City Commissioner's live stream is still going. There's no sound, and it's just one angle. Other counties had up to 13 different angles that you could pick from. And it's not anywhere near close enough to see, like, ballot information or anything, but it is still really fascinating to watch the process, which over 10,000 people were tuned in for earlier this morning. So I'm going to go keep watching that until every ballot is counted. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.